We've been expanding outward in our consideration of living biblically, biblical living. We've, we've had a, a number of lessons in this series as we've gone through. Of course, we began with the idea of thinking biblically, right? In the individual, thinking in a, a biblical pattern and thinking in the ways that the Bible talks about life. And then, of course, expanding outward, a couple, we had a couple of sermons, uh, biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, right? If you're thinking the individual and then the various roles of the men and the women. And then, of course, expanding that out into the next extension would be biblical families. We spent two weeks talking about God's intent for the family and what to do, what to do if, if your family doesn't, uh, isn't meeting that intent. So the next step then, of course, is the interface between the family and the world. We'll spend two weeks talking about this sort of interface between the family unit and the broader world in both the church and in just the lost and, and everyone that exists in our culture, right? And the first step, of course, of that is work. Work is, for most people, the interface between their families and the wider world. It's, it's, again, for most people, not for everybody, for example, me, I'm working in the church, so most of my work is dealing with church stuff, not all of it. But for most work is that first line of, okay, I have my family and we have our goals and hopefully we're pursuing Christian truth. We're trying to do what God wants. And now I'm in with a lot of people who, I feel like this is cutting in and out, but uh, I'm interacting with my job with people who are not trying to live biblically. They're not trying to do what God wants. And that's the first sort of way that we interact with the world for a lot of people. As we think about the beginning of all things, God did not intend humanity to just sit around and be idle. He did not ever intend for that. Genesis 1, 28 and 29. God blessed them and, get, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed uh, in it for fruit. You shall have them for food. Of course, food, we think about what this implies here at the beginning. The process of dominion, subduing, was always going to involve some amount of effort, some amount of work. We know that because he put, gave them food. Why would they need food? Because they're going to be expending energy, right? They're going to be using their, their efforts to subdue and to have dominion over God's creation, to cultivate it, to, to expand and to multiply. Now, presumably, of course, in the original intent, God's original intent for mankind, that work would not have been hard or painful, would not have been extremely uncomfortable, would have been something that they were doing. And one of the things we find, of course, in people's lives is when they do not have work that they find to be meaningful or purposeful, they become listless, they become restless, that, that contributing to the function of the family, contributing to broader society, contributing to others through effort and intentionality is part of having a meaningful, purposeful, satisfying life. Now, of course, the consequence then involved work and the, the degradation that experience. Genesis 3.17. To Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten of the tree which I commanded you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Contrary to before, it would have been just easy, right? Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Man, we've been sweating a lot recently. I don't know, maybe you work in an office, but man, I, I feel for the people who work outside. We've been sweating a lot. Uh, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Part of the consequence for sin 
was that rather than having easy or abundant dominion over creation, we would now have to survive by hard, difficult, painful work. Now, again, there's a lot of different ways that people make, make a living and get food. You know, at the end of the day, primarily, fundamentally, we have to grow our food. That's, that's of course, what, what God is talking about in Adam's life here, the work that they would be doing growing food. In a broader society, not everybody grows food. We buy food that other people grow. But what does that mean? Well, I have to get money somehow. And we understand that life is not easy and automatic. It requires hard work. It's difficult. And some people are having a lot of struggle at that. That's part of the consequence of living in a world with sin, is that survival is no longer just the default automatic assumption as it would have been prior to sin. I've given all this stuff. It's going to be easy for you. Now it's difficult because of the sin in our lives. And so we think about the wisdom literature of Israel, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, we're not going to read much in Job, but especially Proverbs and Ecclesiastes have a lot to say about now the importance of diligence and hard work, because it's no longer just automatically easy that we're going to be able to survive, that it's just going to happen by the nature of God's blessing. Now it requires more effort, sometimes painful effort. And so we think about the wisdom of work in the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 16, 1 through 3. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. The consequence of that is what? Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Thinking about our work, the things that we do in life to sustain us, are we relating that to God in any way? Are we just totally unconnected, right? The plans of a man seem, or appear in his own eyes. Are we just thinking from our own perspective, from what I want, what I desire, what seems good to me? Or are we in some way trying to be intentional about connecting our work to God and his purposes? Proverbs 18, 9. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. What does that mean? People who like to tear down, people who like to, to, to destroy, to be disruptive. You know, who's their friend, their brother? Unintentionally, I'm sure what the proverb writer is meaning here, the one who is slack, the one who is not working hard, the guy who wants to tear down, the guy who wants to destroy, he loves who won't work hard, who's slack in his work, because it's going to make his, his job easier. The one who wants to tear down, they can do that better if people are not working hard. One of the things my late father-in-law used to say, it's easy to tear down, it's hard to build up. It's hard to build up, not just in our work in, in physical things, material things. Of course, thinking about more in the church. If we are slack in our work, in our biblical church family, that's really great for the devil. Really awesome for the one who wants to destroy because it's easy to tear down. It's hard to build up. Proverbs 21, 25, and 26. The desire of the sluggard kills. Him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Now there's an interesting contrast here, the one who gives and the righteous who gives. The implication is the one who is righteous has stuff to give. 
He has abundance to give because he is not a sluggard, right? He is not refusing to labor. The righteous person has something to give. Now, the, the, the unrighteous, the sluggard, the, they, and of course, ultimately, if we refuse to labor, the proverb writer says, what? It's going to kill him. Proverbs 19.15, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Ecclesiastes 10.18, very similar words here. Through the sloth, uh, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Maintaining our lives requires diligent, hard effort. Now, we can think about that in our employment, but it's not just employment. It's not just the work that we do to make money. It's the work that we're putting in to build our families, to teach our children, to encourage the church, to be a part of God's kingdom. Not just our employment, but all these areas of life that require diligence that if we do not maintain some level of effort, guess what? They're going to break down. All of these different areas. Our families, our churches, our, our employment, of course, will break down too. But these different areas of our life that if we do not consistently put in effort, they break down. Now, the Ecclesiastes writer, Solomon, had some other things to say about work that are sort of good, but he ultimately misunderstood a vital part of this. And I want to read these verses, even though I think Solomon has some things wrong here as he's thinking about the end of his life and he misunderstands some things about God and about eternity. But I want to make sure that we understand there is a naturalistic way of looking at work, a way of looking at work that does not include God's plan, that leads to some conclusions that are, are wrong. Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 13. What gain has the worker in his toil? I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity into man's heart. Yet he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. I perceive there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as everyone. Yeah, just switch me over to this, Chuck. It's cutting in and out. Ooh, that's one loud. You might turn me down a bit. Uh, I perceive that there's nothing better than for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. What is God's gift to man? To take pleasure in all his toil. Well, that's partially true. Yet Solomon had a misunderstanding here. He has put eternity in man's heart, yet though we cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end, Solomon did not understand the end of all things, what the end is for humanity, judgment and salvation, heaven and hell. He didn't understand all that. And so the natural conclusion, if you're not thinking about things from eternal perspective, if you're not thinking about things in the long game, yeah, the natural conclusion is what? The best thing is to eat, drink, and enjoy your toil. Enjoy the pleasure that you have in work. That's it. That's God's gift to man. And this is the trap we fall into. That we're only thinking about the here and now. We're only thinking about how things are in this life. And then the natural conclusion is, yeah, I'm going to, the best thing for me is to enjoy the fruits of my labor. But of course, as we go into the New Testament, there's an orientation towards the long game, thinking about things from an eternal perspective. And so the writers of the New Testament reorient work, not just in what it does for us here and now, not just in the necessity of survival, but reorient work as part of a holistic, God-glorifying life. Work as a part of life is part of our effort to glorify God. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We might go back to Proverbs. 
Commit your work to the Lord. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord. Do you do your job? I don't know what your job is. Some of you work in an office. Some of you work in construction. Some of you might work in finance. Some of you might work in real estate. I don't know. You have your jobs, all the things that you guys do. I know some of your jobs, of course. Do you conceptualize, I'm going to sell this house in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to fill out this spreadsheet in the name of the Lord Jesus. We don't think that way. Nobody thinks that way. You're not thinking that way. You're working at your office job. Maybe we should. But definitely we need to be thinking about how our lives as a whole are lived in devotion to him. Colossians 3.22, later on in the chapter, Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, not as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Now, we don't have bond servants and masters in our society the same way. If you don't like your master, guess what? You can just quit. Except there's a lot of times where we can't. Where if we just quit, guess what? We won't be able to put food on the table. We won't be able to make ends meet. So we're trapped. But at the same time, what is he telling us? What we're doing, what we're thinking about in our work? Again, having the long view of work. That my work that I'm doing in this life is not just for the earthly reward. It's not just for what I'm getting from men. It's not just for the money that I'm receiving so I can survive. That's important, that's good. But in my job, am I doing that as if I'm working for him? Because ultimately my end reward is that inheritance, right? The thing that God is going to give me, that is what I'm working for. In the meantime, I have to survive. I have to support my family. We'll talk about this in just a minute. But reorienting the way we think about our jobs as a part of our Christian service to the Lord. That I am working as I work for Conoco, as I work for Quick Trip, as I work for whoever. I have another boss, a higher boss. And that is the Lord. And so as I'm doing those things, how am I working in my service to him, even as I'm doing those other jobs? Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Ugh, I hate that word all. Do all things, which means what? Do your jobs without grumbling or disputing. Are you a grumbler? Oh man, I think many of us are grumblers at work. I have this temptation too. Right? To grumble about the difficult parts of our job, to be a complainer, a disputer. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. The contrast, right? Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. The contrast between those other people at our jobs who they're given the bare minimum, right? They're doing it for people pleasers. They're just in it for the money. They're whatever it is. A contrast between them and us. There should be a contrast in our employment. The people look at us as employees and, oh wow, these guys are not grumbling and complaining all the time. These guys are putting in hard work. These guys are diligent. These guys are, are doing what they should be doing. And it should be a contrast as we hold fast the word of life so at the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. First Corinthians 10.31 
Similar idea of the Colossians passage. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to, uh, to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Again, reorienting our thought about work as part of our overall work in reaching the lost. Why am I working hard? so that I can be a good influence on those around me. Why am I doing a good job in the job that I have? So that other people might be reached. Not seeking my own advantage, but those of others. And so as we think about the extension of the family expansion, we talked about this last week. The church as an extension of our family, the Christian does not just work for themselves. What does Paul say? He's not seeking his own advantage, but those of others, that of others. The Christian reorients the way we think about work, not just for our own families, not just for me, not just for what it benefits me, but for how I can use my earthly work as a blessing for other people. First, Thess First Thessalonians, that's hard, 4, 10 through 12, he read a little bit of this earlier. But we urge you, brothers, to do more and more, to, uh, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you. You may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The, the work, the diligent work, had two goals. Number one, that we would be walking properly before outsiders because people see us at work, right? Again, that's the interface for most of us between the Christian family and the broader world is our work, our jobs. We're walking properly before outsiders. And the second thing here, we may be dependent on no one. Well, what does that mean? Why does that matter? 2 Thessalonians 3.9. It was not because we do not have the right. He's talking about they could have been paid for ministry, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. I want to note about this verse. We misuse this verse a lot. The contrast between, as we read in Proverbs, the sluggard, the slothful, those who refuse to work. Here he says those who are not willing to work. We understand, of course, there's going to be some people who can't work. I mean, in the, in the ways that we think about work, right? Just that this is the way it is. We live in a fallen world. Things are not ideal all the time. We understand that. Secondly, we understand the point here goes back to 1 Thessalonians 4. Because guess what? If you're working hard you're doing your job, you're doing your best, even then, sometimes, you're still going to be dependent on some people. Not everybody who works hard can succeed. Again, we live in a fallen world. Part of that consequence that he gave to Adam is things are not easy anymore. It's possible to fail, whereas I think before sin, it wouldn't have been. We think about those who are not willing to work, let them not eat, it's not to say that we should not be helping people who are unable to make ends meet. We should, because even those who work hard need help. But on the other hand, we need to be thinking if we are in that position that we are needing help from other people, is that because of living in a fallen world and just sometimes things are not enough and we can't do enough? Or is it because we are unwilling to try? Unwilling to do what we can do. Unwilling to contribute what we can contribute. 
Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Because as a part of a holistic way of thinking about God glorifying lives, work is not about me. Work is about how I can contribute to others. The thief needs to labor how? Why? So that he can share with those who need. Because guess what? Even if we work hard, there's still going to be need. Even if we're doing our best, there's still going to be people who fail, who don't do what they need to do to survive. Not because they made a mistake, not because they were sinful, but just because it's hard now because of sin. And so those of us who have the ability are to work not just so that we can provide for our immediate family, but so that we can share with others who have that need. Acts 20 verse 32, now I commend uh, commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities. That is, he was working for his own, uh, uh, own pro uh, survival. And to those who are with me in all things I have shown you, but that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Thinking about work, not just in what it gets me, but thinking about work because it allows me to bless others. It allows me to be what other people need me to be in their lives. Because ultimately we think about the family extension of the church, that we have our earthly families, but then we join this bigger family. We join a group that spans the globe, that spans time and space, and now we're a part of this larger family, and we're helping one another. And so I work hard in large parts, not so that I can make more money, not so that I can get richer, not so that I can have more stuff. I work hard so that I can give more to other people, and I can help more people in more ways. As we conclude, some final thoughts about work. Biblical work, again, is part of a holistic, God-centered life. Those who refuse to work, again, I want to make the difference between those who are unable to work and those who willingly choose, refuse to work, cannot fulfill several important commands. There are several commands in the Bible, things that we've looked at in this text, things that we've looked at in other lessons, that those who refuse to work, they just can't fulfill those commands. They are unable to, not through any sort of situation, but just because they choose not to. Biblical work does not just benefit the immediate family. It's supposed to benefit our extended families and, of course, ex our extended family of the church. Biblical work, if we've seen anything in these verses, not half-hearted, not shoddily done, because the whole Christian life reflects upon God. If you're lazy at your job, it reflects badly on God. If you're lazy in your work, it reflects badly on the church. Right? So we're thinking about working hard, not just because it makes me look good, but because it makes God look good. Oh, those Christians, man, don't hire those Christians. Those Christians, they're lazy. That's not what we want, right? It's not what we're going for. We want people to be more excited to hire Christians because we work hard, because we're diligent, because we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. In that way, we provide an example to others. We shine as lights in the world. I want to note two things as we end. Biblical work does not have to be connected to the church in an official capacity. You're not inferior if you're not 
working in a church, right? Preaching or ministering or, or some way in that way. Because guess what? I can only do what I'm doing because you guys are all doing what you're doing. <laughs> I can only do that. I can't, I can't only do what I'm doing because the rest of you guys are working in the world, making money, doing what you should be doing. So it's not like jobs that are in the world that we have secular jobs. They're not inferior. They are just as vital, just as important as official church work. Because the official church work can't be done without the secular work. It can't happen. Right? We're giving and we're helping and we're blessing others. But I do want to note, biblical work does need to leave space for God and his church in the life of the worker. We're going to end with this idea. I would say most jobs are morally neutral. They don't have any inherent morality. They just are a job. Right? You're an accountant, you're a teacher, you're a construction worker, you're an electrician, you're whatever you are. Doesn't matter. Amoral. Morally neutral. Unless that job becomes more important to you than God. Any job can be unrighteous if it comes between us and him. If we do not allow our jobs, if our jobs do not allow us to fulfill the righteous requirements of Christians, to be participating in spiritual things, to be devoting energy to the holiness formation of our families, to not be encouraging one another because we don't have time. So any job, again, can be righteous if we're using that job as a way of furthering the kingdom, as a way of being an example to others, as a way of blessing others. Any job can be unrighteous if it's coming between us and God if it's preventing us from being more holy and more righteous, if it's preventing us from encouraging others, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. John 6, 25, our last verse. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where did you come? when did you come here? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. That is, Jesus made survival easier for them. He made them have to work less. Oh, we'll just go follow Jesus. He'll give us our food. We don't have to work for our food. Jesus will just make it appear, right? In the feeding, the various feedings of the thousands that he did. Do not work for the food that perishes. That is, you're so focused on the physical blessing I gave you. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Earthly work is important, fundamental, vital, necessary even, but always secondary. Jobs that do not allow us to gain the food that endures, ultimately if that is what we have in our lives, what was the point of it all? We accumulate, we accumulate, we accumulate. Jesus says in another place, the guy who had, he built all these barns to store all his stuff, and he said, ooh, now I can relax. And Jesus says, you fool. Tonight your soul is required of you. And the implication, what do all those barns do for you? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? As we think about our jobs, the work that we do, the, the priorities that we have, making money's good for 80 years. But there's something else we're going for, right? 
the water of life that comes from Jesus that he says he will give to those who obey him, the work of God to believe in the one whom he has sent. As we're about to sing this song, we offer the invitation. There's a fountain free. In the beginning, work was going to be easy. It would be abundant. It would be no hard, no hard work at all. Just he gives you all the food. The consequence for sin, now it's difficult. Now it's hard. But in a spiritual way, the work for the food that gives eternal life is in some ways easy. It's free. It's offered to you now. The fountain that you can partake in and have confidence in eternal life.